Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Nehemiah chapter 4, Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll look at verses 10 to 15 this morning. I'm always amazed how God kind of uh, sets me up uh, for preparing to preach every week. This week, after several wonderful days off, uh, delightful days, celebrating my wife's birthday with some of the rest of my family, beautiful days filled with sunshine and warmth, what could be better? This week, for no apparent reason, I went into a terrible blue funk. Waves of discouragement and despair crashed over my head. I lost hope. I could not see the way ahead. I wondered if I had any future. What on earth was happening to me? Well, I found out when uh, I opened my Bible and began to work on Nehemiah 4. And uh, what do I find there? What was the subject at hand? Discouragement. God, you set me up. You just let me get painfully woefully discouraged so that I could study about discouragement. God often does this with me. It's been my experience um, that he allows me to face the very problems that we're going to talk about, even if I don't think they're my characteristic problems. I think he does that so that my study won't just be an academic exercise, but that I will enter into the truth and have to live it just like everyone else. So let's turn our attention to this uh, text, an account which calls us to guard against discouragement. We'll read verses 10 to 15 this morning, although this is really part of the larger section, so we'll be doubling back and and looking at some of this again uh, next week. But let me read just verses 10 to 15. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind those lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posted them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I I looked over, I, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. There are two kinds of discouragement that are spoken of in these verses, especially verses 10 to 13, 10 to 12, I guess. Um, Two kinds of discouragements against which we need to guard our hearts. So I just want to talk about those two things. That's two points this morning. First of of all, don't get discouraged when the job proves too big. Don't get discouraged when the job is too big. Years ago, when I lived back in New Jersey, we decided to remodel our kitchen. And we were so excited at the prospect of something new and fresh 
we eagerly dove into the task, started tearing things up and getting ready. But somewhere in the middle of the job, it all suddenly seemed overwhelming. The water had been shut off for a while now. The countertop was ripped up. The sink was pulled out. The sanding of the cabinets had begun, and there was dust everywhere in the house. And the mess was absolutely overwhelming. At that point, when it was way too late to abandon the task, but the end was nowhere in sight, at that point, I got pretty discouraged and wished we had never started. That's kind of what happened to the people in Jerusalem. They were kind of in the middle of this project. The walls were about halfway up, we heard last week. But they were tired. They had been at this for a while, and the end was not yet in sight. And they were overwhelmed by the mess. The rubble was everywhere. They had lost their confidence that it would ever be completed and become discouraged. Well, these people were not reluctant to work. They had already proven themselves willing to build. What they were doubting was whether they would ever be able to complete such a huge task. We hear it in their own words in in verse 10. The people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. All kinds of projects seem exciting at the beginning. And they seem exciting when the end is in view. But in that arduous, seemingly endless effort between start and finish, in the long slog of the middle, almost every endeavor seems discouraging. Now, if that was the response of these ancient builders of the wall around Jerusalem, we who labor to do the Lord's work today would know that even more. For the task the church has been given to execute Jesus' great commission to make disciples of all nations has now stretched over 2,000 years, and its completion still seems impossible. Don't get discouraged just because the job is too big. Let me think about why not be discouraged. We already saw back in chapter 3 that no individual in, in Jerusalem, among all these discouraged people, no one had been given responsibility to complete this huge project by themselves. Remember how each little group had been assigned one specific piece of work, often the broken section of wall right in front of their own home that they had to look at. That was their assignment. Those individual tasks were undoubtedly difficult, but that little task was not impossible. And folks, neither have you and I been given responsibility for every lost soul on the planet. God has put us somewhere. He has given us some specific opportunities. He has endowed us with some knowledge, some resources, some little abilities. He's introduced us to a handful of people, our family, our friends, some more acquaintances. And right there in that little corner of the world in which we live, God has called us to serve him to be faithful with the gifts he's entrusted to our hands. 
not to just live for ourselves like the world around us does, but to build what he is building in our little corner of his kingdom. You see, if you look at the whole unfinished task and you look at the meager resources in your hands, you will get discouraged. But when you see your situation and your resources as things entrusted to you, then all that matters is that you be a faithful steward of what you've been given, where you've been put. You need not get discouraged just because the job is so big. Let me share a personal illustration, which is somewhat embarrassing, I admit. I tend to avoid pastor's conferences. I get invited to a ton of them. Another one yesterday. Those are events where pastors gather and we're challenged with the enormity of the, unle- the task that's still un- 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 incomplete. And we're introduced to great ministry success stories that we could implement in our churches and know that same success. I don't attend those events. Because I get overwhelmed with the enormity of the task and with the meagerness of my gifts. I begin to ask myself, who do you think you are to even be in the ministry? You're not in the league with these people. You don't know these kind of successes. You can't possibly do that huge job until overwhelmed with discouragement, I'm ready to just give up. And so I always get into the thing that rather than just give up, I ought to get in my car and go home, which I do. And there I get busy in the little corner of Christ's work that he's entrusted to me, busy using the gifts that I do have, meager as they might be, and leave the rest to the Lord and whoever he assigns those other things. In order for me to continue in the ministry, I have to be reminded again that God has not dumped the whole of his eternal plan in my lap. In fact, he's not even given me the the responsibility to be successful. He's only called me to be faithful where he put me with whatever he put in my hand. And folks, if that's true for me in my world, it's true for you in your world. Guard against the predictable discouragement brought on by the size and the duration of the work of God. You see, for all of our talk, God has not said to us, I want you to go and build my church, make it happen. He's not said to us, go bring in my kingdom. No, what he says is, I will build my church. And the kingdom of heaven is already at hand. We're simply called to be ready, to labor, to give attention to what God is doing. But the success of it all is in his hands, not ours. Only he can make it happen. If we take responsibility on our shoulders for what only God can do, we will quickly be in despair. But if we give ourselves to what he's doing, grateful that he has given us even a little share in his work, our hearts will soar with gratitude for such a calling. That's what happened to me in my discouragement this week. I began to get to work, and I started out uh, looking at uh, Isaiah 62, because we're going to read it this morning. 
And as I read it, I was reminded of God's glorious work in the city that he's building, the eternal city filled with righteousness and, and redeemed people. And as I marveled at the certainty of God's plan, I was reminded he gave you a place in that plan, Bert. He's chosen you for some little part. And suddenly my discouraged old soul began to swell with gratitude. What a privilege is mine. What an opportunity to participate in what the Lord, the King, is doing. And God turned my despair into hope. I learned once again not to get discouraged at the enormity of the task. Well, there's one kind of discouragement. There's a second kind of discouragement here, which brings us to a second point. Don't get discouraged when you're threatened. Don't get discouraged when you're threatened. In America, we're not used to being threatened because we're Christians. For all of our lives, serving the Lord has been considered an honorable thing in most circles. Well, these people may have not been used to that either, but suddenly the barrage of threats came. They were threatened for daring to rebuild the wall around their city. And it overwhelmed them with discouragement. We read this in verses 11 and 12. Their enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. And their fellow Jews who lived out among those enemies confirmed the threats. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Nowadays we call that terrorism. Just one little violent act uh, can, can let an enemy fill our lives with crippling fear. Cause us to be afraid of things we can't even see. Cause us to assume we don't have a chance. And to dare to not do anything that would rock the boat. And so the people of Jerusalem were discouraged, terrified at the threats against them. Your people, the day of threats against us, I think, is quickly approaching. Christian views are becoming suspect in our culture. Christian values are considered politically incorrect, largely now. The expression of biblical views is increasingly considered even, not only inappropriate, but even hate speech. Restrictions on military chaplains are increasing. I read just two weeks ago that evangelicals are becoming the new Jews. People to be hated and blamed for all of society's ills. Evangelical Christians have been listed as potential terrorists in our land. And as this shift takes place, threats of oppression and violence will probably increase. So we need to learn what the people of Jerusalem needed to learn. Don't be discouraged just because you're threatened. You may know other kinds of threats or many kinds of threats. The subtle little innuendo with which somebody condemns what you believe and what you say. The threat of the evil one. The threat of a conscience that condemns you. All kinds of threats, not just overt ones. What should the people of Jerusalem have done differently? How might they have guarded against the discouragement that made them want to quit? 
Well, the text doesn't really tell us directly, but I think we can figure it out if we think about it a moment. First, notice that they listened to the taunts of their critics. There's an interesting thing here. Some of these taunts almost sound like little jingles with rhyme and rhythm. If that's the case, and we don't know that, but if that's the case, who possibly wrote those little critical jingles? Probably their enemies. But the people listened to them, and they repeated them until they began to believe those threats. Then we read that when they heard of some of the threats, that they heard of some of the threats from their fellow Jews who didn't live in Jerusalem, but they lived out in the countryside in the middle of their of their enemies, of Sanballat's people. They had allowed themselves to be surrounded by the radical rhetoric of the critics until they lost heart for the work that God had given them to do. Do you see what happened here? People of God turned their attention away from the Lord, away from what his word had revealed to them as his will, away from the joy of what they had already begun. And they began to listen to the world, to its faithless talk and its macho threats. And as the rumors swirled around them, they began to believe those rumors. We don't have a chance. They really mean it. I heard they're going to attack us from all directions at once. And suddenly their zeal for the Lord withered completely. Folks, that's the warning that we read in Psalm 1. What is so wrong with walking in the counsel of the wicked and standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of mockers? I mean, one might argue, hey, we have to interact with the world, and we do. But in Psalm 1, listening and associating and eventually adopting the world's lies distract our hearts from God's word, which ought to control our thinking and causes our faith to wither on the vine and produce nothing. And so Nehemiah had to remind these discouraged people about the Lord. In verse 14, he exhorted them, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, Later down to verse 20, he told them simply, our God will fight for us. Folks, that's always been true. That's always been God's promise to his people in the face of threats from his enemies. As I was studying this, I wondered if there were other places where the Lord addressed people's discouragement and, and challenged them of how, to, how they ought to think. And so I did a little search Nice to be able to do computer searches on things now. It's amazing what you find. But I was not prepared for all that I found. Let me give you some examples. When Moses commissioned Joshua to lead God's people into the promised land, listen to what he said to him. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. A little later, the Lord himself said such things to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
when the Lord sent Israel to fight against the, 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 the cities in the land as they were taking possession of it, he said to them, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack. Much later, the Lord said the same thing to King David in 1 Chronicles 22. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. David turned around and said the same thing to Solomon, his son, as he was about to begin building the temple. He said, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Years later, in the face of a threatening crisis, the Lord sent his prophet to say to King Jehoshaphat, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Later, when threatened by the king of Assyria, King Hezekiah said to the people of Judah, Be strong and, be, and, and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. Folks, God has made it impossible to miss the point. When he sends us out to serve him, we do not go alone. The Lord is with us. The Lord fights for us. Therefore, we need not be afraid or discouraged, no matter what the threat. I don't know where you feel threatened today. I don't know what dangers lie ahead for us. But this I know. The Lord wants us to trust him and not be discouraged. For he will never leave us or forsake us. As we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, all our discouragement ought to dissipate. We need not be discouraged because the job is too big. Because Jesus has completed it. He has come and worked salvation all by himself. He didn't need our help. By his death and resurrection, he has accomplished it. He's applying it to us. He will bring it to consummation. Nor do we need to get discouraged in the face of the world's threats. For if God loved us and sent his son to save us when we were his enemies, will he now that he's made us, will he not now and that he's made us his children, give us whatever we need? As we read in Romans 8, if God is for us, who could be against us? And so as we're instructed in Hebrews 12, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who has endured the cross for us and now sat down at the right hand of God. We keep our eyes on him. Why? Hebrews 2 says, so that we, 12 says, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father, such little things can get us discouraged and get us off track and get us wrapped up in self-pity and hopelessness. Oh, dear Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. 
to remember your promises, to see how you've dealt with your people over the centuries. Most of all, to understand what it is that you've done in the Lord Jesus Christ for us. When we were enemies, when we didn't care one whit about you, that you loved us and you accomplished salvation for us and you brought us to yourself. Why should we need to fear anything now? For if you are for us, who could be against us? Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you don't just sweep our discouragement under the carpet, but you deal with it. You show us that this is something your people have struggled with. And you give us help to know how to approach it and how to deal with it. May we take it to heart and live in victory over it, we pray, even this day. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.